Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thank you so much for listening. Before I get to our guest, Matt Harris, I want to give some announcements. And by that, I mean go to the website, folks. Have you seen the website? It's beautiful. TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there, check out all the articles, uh, see the destinations that I recommend, see the guests, see some video. And also, most importantly, you can see links to all our social media. And by social media... All the big ones, Instagram, our Facebook page, LinkedIn, Twitter, Stitcher Radio, and of course, iTunes. And if you're going to go to iTunes, A, subscribe for free, B, why not give us a good rating? Helps people find the show, boosts our presence, maybe give us a big star rating. You can say a few nice things if you want as well. I'm not averse to that. That would be a cool thing. So go to iTunes, subscribe. Tell a million or so of your friends. That would help a lot as well. And keep listening. All right, now let's get right to our guest, producer, writer, and well-traveled man, Mr. Matt Harris. Enjoy. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm here with Matt Harris. Hello. Hello, Matt. All right. We are just meeting now. This is, you know nothing about. I me. know absolutely nothing about you. I so even we're going to less about you. <laughs> we're going to meet on on the air. I guess you'd call it. There you go. Um, I met you. I got your name through Pilar Alessandra, right. who did the show. I tracked her down in uh, Vietnam. Oh, is that was, right? Is that how you met her? Well, I know I'm very good friends with her, her husband Pat. Pat. I know Pat well too. We were roommates way back in Chicago. Oh, no uh, way. Twenty years ago, the comedy days. Oh yeah. Oh, that's funny. I yeah, didn't know yeah. That. And uh, so I just happened to be, she was in Vietnam. Right, I remember that. Yeah. Uh, teaching, and I was on a, like a three-month uh, trip. So oh, I just happened to like, we just met up there. So I interviewed her in Vietnam. That's cool, really? In, in Ho Chi Minh City, we recorded oh, it. Oh, man, yeah. I am dying to get there. I have an old classmate who lives there. Oh, really? You've never been? Never have been there. Okay, yeah. it, she wrote me and she said, you know, I have some friends who are uh, well-traveled. Yeah. And your name was one of them. Well, let's see. Well, you can since you don't know me, we'll, you yeah. Can, uh, you can why are you why so well sick. well traveled? Where the hell um, have you been? Well, where have I been? I lived as I told you earlier. I grew up in Joliet, Illinois. Earlier, five minutes ago. Yes, five minutes ago. We're not lying, folks. Um, we just met. Yeah, we did. Uh, Joliet, so, I know Joliet, it well. Illinois. Yeah. So, but I, I was like born in Texas, lived in Kansas, moved to uh, Illinois by the time I was in second grade. My dad is in the oil business. Oil business. Okay. So I became kind of an oil brat by the time eighth grade ended. My dad, uh, he was working at a big refinery there in Joliet, okay. and uh, he was with Mobile Oil, and he got transferred. He took a job in Indonesia, way up north in Banda Aceh on the island of Sumatra. Wow. Do you remember the uh, tsunami? The big tsunami. Yeah, Aceh, that's yeah. where. So like, by geological time, we kind of dodged a bullet, to be quite <laughs> yeah. honest with you, um, because that place, Laksamawi, is where we were. Uh, it got wiped out a little bit. You know, it did. So... Anyway, moved overseas. We started our sort of odyssey of moving overseas at that point as a family. And uh, I went to high school because living there in Indonesia, it was a very, very remote area. So that was high school age for you? High school age. Well, that's a tough time. Man, it was weird. To be leaving. It was weird. And to be in a completely foreign environment. I'd never... Here I was thinking about, you know, whether or not I was going to play football in high school, and I was kind of scared about going, because I was leaving a small Catholic school with a class of like 20, you know, getting ready to be in a freshman class of, what, a couple hundred, I guess, in high school, <laughs> at all-boys school in Joliet, and 
wham. I, mean, I remember my dad came in one day. It was like in uh, February, and he says, guess what? We're moving. And not only hit me with that, but like told me where we're moving. I had no idea where it was. You had to go had find to go a map. globe. You know, if you go look over there, like in the uh, Southeast Asia, you know, it's always like that jumble of islands. You know, I could I kind of identify some things. I knew where China was, I knew where India was, I knew where Australia was, but then there was like all these islands and stuff in between. That's where we were moving, and so it was really crazy because. Um, like I said, this camp that we moved to, uh, and it was a camp. It was called Pioneer Camp. They were building a uh, liquefied natural gas plant. They had found a huge, humongous gas reserve up in Sumatra, and they do they have incredible natural resources up there. Um, and so they had just built this new plant to process it. Now, liquefied natural gas is really very volatile, very dangerous. They, at the time, I don't even know if they do now, but they would not import it into the United States. But places like Japan, which have no natural gas reserves, they depend on these kinds of mm-hmm. things. So anyway, um, we came in at the tail end of the, the construction of it and the beginning of the actual process of opening up the plant. So yeah, I was just thrown into this mix. I'd never traveled outside of... Uh, my vacations at that point were like these two-week road trips to go see my grandparents in <laughs> the Wisconsin Dells. Or yeah, the Wisconsin Dells for sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, but at that time, I mean, I'll never forget. We went to Hawaii. It was our first stop. You know, we were all so psyched. You know, I got on a plane. I didn't know what to wear. I'd never really been on a plane like that before. So I wore a three-piece suit. I was just so <laughs> clueless. I was like 14 years old. Old school. I yeah, like old it. school. Then, yeah, like Mad Men getting yeah. on, the, on the plane. And right. And so like, I, I remember we, none of us put any sunscreen on because we're thinking, like, no, oh, well, you know, we've been out in the sun. And sure. then like the last three days of that trip were spent in agony <laughs> in a hotel room with noxzema <laughs> all over our bodies, you know, trying to get the burn to go away. And then... Uh, so yes. until um, Sumatra, yeah. was it all was it all domestic until then? Or was it was, it was. I was born in like I was born in Sherman, Texas. We moved to Sweetwater, Texas, Gainesville, Texas, then to El Dorado, Kansas, then to Joliet, Illinois. So we had been, you know, mm-hmm. pretty what is that peripatetic at that point? That's a big so. leap, though. Sumatra from huge, Joliet, huge. And so you're very, about like what, 14, 15 years. I old? was fourteen, just turned oh, fourteen. That's years a hard old. age, man. Yeah, it was. It was, you know. I mean, and not only that, but. Then I had to move away from my parents. You moved away from them? Yeah, because this remote camp, they had – we all lived in these, like, double-wide trailers, right, with high bar classy, fence. Sure. Very classy place. Um, but it was, like, a five-minute walk from the beach, so there was that. And so they had a trailer that was essentially the grade school that took kids all the way up into the eighth grade. Now, were you with all other, uh, like, foreign kids? Was this, like, an international no, school? No, that was mainly American at that point. I mean, there was a huge mix in the camp. There was a – there were Japanese because they were master construction workers at the time, and um, but not as many. They were sort of finishing their job. But a lot of Canadians, a lot of Brits, some Germans, and plenty of Americans. And they're all mainly through the South, too, from the South. Because it's oil, yeah, Texas right? guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Texas guys. And uh, <laughs> But that was only my, my first three months there. You know, uh, we, we got there in June, or I want to say late May, and then I had to go to high school. And the only nearest high school was in Singapore, which is about four or 500 miles away. <sighs> so um, Mobile Oil had bought what used to be a whorehouse, a brothel, <laughs> yeah. and they converted it into a youth hostel in Singapore. Okay. And for the families of those who you know have high school students that they could attend America, uh, Singapore American School, which is really where I went to high school. And so... That was an added shock. You know what I mean? Being away from mom and dad, it was really tough at the beginning. I think it was really harder on my parents. And it was like watching them the night they actually said goodbye, you know, it was hard. 
And I knew it was hard for them, but that made it harder for me. But pretty quickly, I learned to really enjoy this youth yeah. hostel. <laughs> and, uh, wait a minute. And then, yeah. then you look back and went, oh, it was really sad. But wait a minute. You're away from your parents. Yeah. You're in a better city. It's not like you're in the jungle not in, in the jungle. Sumatra. Singapore is an amazing city. Back then, it's changed so much. Now. I was there a few years ago. So yeah. I don't know what it was like. You're talking probably 80s, right? The early 80s. And the way it was then, it was... Very much. It was like I started there in 79. So it was – or late 78, actually, in 78. And so what it was, it was kind of – it was an interesting view of the city in terms of like it was transitioning. You know, and it always had a sort of a – well, at least when I moved there, it had a kind of a modern economy going, you know, and a self-identity that they had broken away from the British and obviously the Chinese. But at the same time – you could go see these old junks out in the river and just just step back in time to this old <laughs> port city, you know? And while they had really stringent laws about certain things, like, for instance, when you used to land at the airport, we used to land at a military airport on a chartered plane for mobile. They actually had signs up on the wall with a poster of guys and their hair and how long you could wear your hair. And there was wow. a limit. And they had a barber chair. Right there. <laughs> in the airport? In the airport. And they would cut your hair if your hair came too loud <laughs> far about your collar. There's no spinning. There was no right. chewing gum, which I'm doing now, by the way. Sorry. Oh, you want to uh, want to get rid of that? No, it's okay. I'll just. I'll make you get rid of it. Swallow it here in a second. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you show up with your, uh, you know, you're 14. You got your uh, clueless Tony Monero uh, hairdo. You're, yeah, you're staying no, alive. I was. I mean, I was. I knew <laughs> I was full on Scott Bayo. Yeah, maybe. right. I wish. Uh, I was just so naive. I really did. I didn't realize how sort of isolated and insulated I. Uh, had grown up, you know, and I thought I knew a few things. I didn't know anything. And um, moving in with these people that were 18 years old, you know, dudes with hair on their chest, young yeah. women who are growing. And now you're living amongst them. There was a girl's floor and there was a boy's floor. But so all mean, high school ages. All high school. We were so, freshmen, you know, through senior. And that's and a big difference between the freshmen and the seniors. Huge. Big. Enormous. And, of course, I looked up to these guys who were in the seniors right away. You know, I mean, everybody else, the freshmen just seemed like geeks like me. And so I kind of want to hang with these guys. <laughs> and, you know, uh, not to get too off track, but, I mean, uh, there's – I, they probably have a legal drinking age in Singapore, but it's for some reason it doesn't apply to Caucasians, <laughs> yeah. you know. And I, right, I right. Never, so, like, I remember walking in to the Mandarin Hotel, which is one of the nicest hotels in Singapore, going up to their bar and ordering a drink when I was 14 years old. And never, You're not going to be able to do that in Joliet. No, and no one questioned it. And so it was, you know, I looked up to these guys and ended up sort of learning – the ways of the world, I'll say, through these what, guys. What was one of their uh, big tips? What, uh, what are they going to tell you? Listen, kid, let me tell you about Singapore. This is what you need to know. God, a, far. you can get a drink almost anywhere. Yeah. But uh, Singapore is pretty strict. I mean, the one thing that I remember about Singapore mm -hmm. flying in, it says right on the customs form, yeah. uh, any drugs you will be sentenced to, like, death. Or right. Like, death. Not even life in prison. I death. remember when I was there, there was an American woman who was found with heroin that was put to death. Yeah. Uh, an African-American woman who was traveling. And I, I, it didn't even make a big uh, blip on the international radar at the time. But uh, Were they still caning people and stuff oh like yeah. that? Oh, yeah. Caning was definitely a possibility. I had left already when that kid who went to Singapore American School ended up getting busted for doing some vandalism, and they caned him. I remember that story. Yeah, sure. That was like a big outrage here. Yeah. Was, um, and half the country was like, hey, he knew the rules there. Right. <laughs> exactly. I remember a couple of people were like, wait a minute, Harris, did you live over there? Did, is that for real? Are they really going to do this? I just laughed. I'm like, of course they're going to do it. They don't care. you know. <laughs> right. And I mean, that is the punishment. And it's a great way to show others 
don't ever do this. And I never did anything like that, like vandalism. However, I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. well, I don't know where you want to go with this podcast. You're still, I don't, a, you're still a teenager. I'm well, still a teenager. Some, give me some good dirt. I mean, how, well, what was the closest you ever got to getting in trouble or getting? Oh busted? my. Really? Did you get busted? I mean, no, I never got busted. Oh my god, to get busted would it would have been bad. It would have yeah, been really yeah. bad. Like for instance, there was a kid. Um, Jakarta was another place that had a big American school. In fact, we used to travel and play them in sports. Um, I have not heard one nice thing about Jakarta. Mm, it's messy, yeah. big. Is that good? I yeah. don't know. <laughs> no. I met Spiro Agnew in an uh, elevator once. Oh, in Jakarta. God. Is that, that where he ended up? I don't know. He was doing something over <laughs> yeah. there. Um, but anyway, this guy, his uh, father. Um, got transferred and they moved to Jakarta after he'd been living in Singapore and he got busted for dope. And, uh, they basically, they found it on him at school. They said, um, the police have been called. We're just going to give you a warning right now. And he managed to get to the U S embassy in time before the police caught him. That was just Indonesia. And yeah. he was able to get out of the country because it was still very strict in Indonesia. They're going to look for a chance to bust a foreigner, of course, to make an example in Singapore, you'd be really foolish to ever, you know, do a pot or anything like that. And the weird thing about it, it was everywhere. Really? Everywhere. You mean amongst your group or amongst even the locals? Amongst my group and amongst certain locals, if you knew who to talk to, for sure. Wow. It was everywhere. It's a port city. Yeah, yeah. It was a port city. Um, so those guys, they were very adept at that, I would say. <laughs> uh, they, um, and... Yeah, I mean, but you know, it's funny, they taught me also, I guess you could say they taught me, but just not to be, not to be blasé about it, and to be careful about it, and, um, but then, yeah, it was everywhere, and I think there was a lot of scare, fear, you know, I remember one time I got called into the principal's office, somehow they suspected me of... <laughs> Being a stoner, I don't know. What? Yeah, and the guy told me, I'll never forget it. Was it your Pink Floyd posters? On yeah, the wall? who knew? You know, he said, <laughs> if I suspected you of having a marijuana seed in your pocket, I could uh, have you kicked out of the school right now. And I had no idea what his point was, even to this day. I was like, I think he was trying to scare me. I'm not really sure. And I was like, okay. I wasn't dumb enough to bring it on campus, you right, know, or anything right. like that. Although some people did, for sure. But so there was that. There was plenty of that, you know, and um, it was a really. I feel like a lot of the experiences I had in high school trumped what it was like when I got to college, right? So when I got to college and everybody's out of the house for the first time and they're all 18 years old running You're around like, the nah, dorms. I've been there. I was like watching these people and I'm saying, well, that's okay, that's, yeah, that's fun, you know. But Did you go to school back in the States? I did. College? I ended up going back to school. Well, we transferred my uh, for my senior year. I got transferred to Venezuela. Oh, wow. Yeah. So my dad got a new job in Venezuela. Which a lot was, of oil there. Yeah, a lot of oil there. Um Caracas? Which, uh, actually, a place called Valencia, Venezuela, which okay. is uh, to the east, no, excuse me, west of Caracas. And so... Uh, What's happening there now? It's blowing up. Something's happening bad. It is blowing up. You know, it's generated a lot by the students. When I was down there, there was a lot of protest, too. Like, our senior prom, we wound up... We had our senior prom at a, uh, at a country club. And there was a whopping 10 students in our graduating <laughs> class, okay? Um, eight guys... Two girls. They were very tough happy. finding a date. Yeah, tough finding They're... a date. So I was actually dating a junior at the time. They had like twenty <laughs> kids in their class. But uh, this is also around the time of the. Um, do you remember the Falkland crisis? Yeah, sure. So at that time, you know, <laughs> granted, like Venezuela is on the other end of yeah, South America. Argentina was it's way down there, right? But, but they were going through like they, a chaos, down chaos, there. and they but they saw fit for some reason 
to blame the Americans for some parts of this. Oh, sure. And so they were when all else fails. Yeah, when all else fails, <laughs> I remember they tripped over a bus downtown and they were burning it. Chan and Yankee go home, and uh, so I had to kind of sidestep that activity. <laughs> and um, our neighbors in our apartment complex, who happened to be Argentinian, stopped talking to us. Wow, just shut us down. Yeah, um, but then at our our uh, prom. All of a sudden, we noticed, like, there's some guys, like, standing along the wall, like locals who've just kind of wandered in. And we're, like, thinking maybe they don't know what this is, you know. But they were clearly kind of intoxicated and giving us the eye. And so some of the chaperones realized what was going on. And they said, listen, one at a time, you know, start going through the kitchen and getting out of here because these guys are pissed and they're not going to leave. And um, so me and my date almost made it to our car. I was so close. If I wouldn't have opened the door for her, I would have made it in the car in time. Well, we got surrounded. We got harassed. You know, um, I did speak Spanish because you learned really quickly to speak the language down there. I mean, nobody speaks English yeah. if you don't learn it right away. Um, so I did. And they kept on questioning me, but I refused to speak Spanish. I just said, you know, lo no say, I don't speak Spanish, you know. And they're like getting angrier that I didn't speak Spanish. And... Um, Finally, they, you know, knocked me around a little bit, let me get in my car and leave. But somehow her parents found out about this, that the party had been broken up. Uh, and so her parents and my parents came rushing over, right? And my, my dad got out of a car to look around. And there's like chaos in the parking lot. And some guy just hit him on the head with a bottle, broke a bottle over his head. I think he got some stitches from that. So it was kind of a chaotic time, you know, wow. to be in that little political turmoil. Why the hell Venezuela, they would give a shit? I have no idea. And today, you know, I got to tell you, like the students, you can remain a student and not have to work for a very long time down in Venezuela. And they, I think they foment a lot of turmoil where there really isn't any. It's a strange place because they have so many natural resources, you know. They were paying people to go move into the to the Llanos, the plains, you know, because uh, to get out of these slums in the cities. And there was so much more opportunity for them to go into these new settlements. But people wanted to stick around. And, you should see these slums and they'd have antennas sticking at them. All everybody had a TV, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And they would be washed out during the rains when the floods came. Um, I love that place. It was one, probably the most beautiful place I've ever been. And the beaches, pristine beaches, fantastic. Loved the food, loved everything about it. Loved the culture. Um, but, Aside from the uh, scary harassment and the scary harassment, your dad's yeah, head. that's true too. But I never <laughs> felt like I was hated, you know, as an American. Right, right. I really didn't. Even you know, they were just pissed. I think. Um, you like that experience more than than Singapore? I know it's tough. There was a lot that I liked about Venezuela. It really was. I, but I got to say, the freedom that I enjoyed when I was living in Singapore, because I had to go back and move with my parents for my senior year in high school mm -hmm. into an apartment. That was very different. By this time, I was 18, and I was pretty much used to being on my own. Right. You used to go uh, to the bar and, uh, you know. Well, wherever you wanted to go. Man exactly. In the bar. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was. It was like Friday nights. You know, we used to go out, and of course, we had our, you know, uh, our curfews, of course, but it was very easy to sneak out right, of right. that place, and we did on a frequent basis. And, um, well, so, yeah, I miss that. You're a stranger in a strange land. Now now you have a, uh, when it comes to dating, mm -hmm. you know, you're in this situation and uh, you have the choice. I mean, do you go with like the girls in the school, you know, the white girls right. in the school, or do you maybe take a chance and date a local? Yeah, that's how a good is, point. How does that go? You know, that's an interesting question. That would have been, 
it was actually kind of difficult to approach the local girls in Venezuela, for sure. Okay. In Venezuela, for sure, I found it more difficult. Singapore the, as well? Um, yeah, not as much. Not as much. Now, you got to keep in mind, even though it was called an American school in Singapore and in um, Venezuela, it was called the Colegio Internacional de Carabobo, which is basically an American school. Yeah. But everybody living there, I mean, even in Singapore, I mean, I, my best friends were like from... From Norway, Japan, uh, you know, Britain and Australia. It was just, it was such a mix of people there. And um, I was friends with the ambassador, the U.S. ambassador's son. Ended up right. like having to drop him one night. Like literally rolled him out of a, a cab for the Marine to take inside because <laughs> he was so drunk. It was hilarious. Um, but uh, in, in Venezuela, we had every part of South America represented. And so... Um, there was a wide variety to be had, I will say that. But dating local girls, there's definitely a big sort of um, separation between that. There really was. I went to a couple of local parties, like high school parties, and they were very different. I, I got along with the guys once that sort of, you know, the barrier was broken down. <laughs> this was not a John Hughes movie. You know, no, it definitely into... wasn't a John. It would have been nice <laughs> to have had that John Hughes experience where, like, you know, teenagers are the same no matter where you go. Right, right. But it really wasn't the case. So. How, to, how did you decide where to go to college? Back in the states when you did, when you decided to go, yeah, you know, I, um, I'll be honest, I, I, I felt like I kind of missed out even thinking about college. You know, it was, and then when it came time, I had a sister who had gone to college at St. Mary's University in San Antonio, Texas. She had picked that one, and I was like, "It's uh, pretty obscure one to pick." Pretty, out of all I of them. know, and um, <laughs> so I applied there. I, I had a choice between there and Northeastern in Boston that I was thinking about going to, and so I. I just went to Texas, not, you know, no. Yeah, why would you go to Boston, the greatest college town? I know, ever? exactly. Why would you? Why would Chalk you? Chalk that up that as one? a long list Let of me mistakes. You go to a small one and bad in choices. Texas. Bad choice. I ended up transferring out here to California. That's how I ended up out here to San Diego State eventually. Oh, no, there we fun. go. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. That yeah. was a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting, you know, I, uh, the, I just really didn't. You know, kids today, they seem really aware, college aware. Like, I have a nephew. I don't know. I have a nephew who was like, when he was a freshman in high school, he started reading those college reviews and where he wanted to go and having a good idea yeah. where he's going to apply. I didn't, I didn't look into it either. You didn't that look much. into it. Yeah, it was kind of like your senior well, my, year, second semester. Yeah, exactly. I got to do something. I got I to come up with something. <laughs> yeah, I got to have a plan. Well, my dad sat us down and said, you can go to school anywhere if it's an Illinois State school. And yeah. we're like, well, that narrows it down. That narrows that it down quite a bit. Six to choose from. Or Where'd you go to? Northern Illinois. Northern Illinois. Yeah. yeah. In DeKalb. Is that where it's at? Yeah. yeah. I knew some people in uh, from Joliet. Yeah. From there, I'm sure. 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 I knew yeah. people from every town in, in the state. Yeah, I was going to say. When you go to a state school, especially anywhere in the northern half. Yeah. Every suburb, uh, anybody from, yeah, I knew somebody from Do you ever notice the south of Il southern Illinois is just so very That's different? That's the south, man. It is I had a friend who went to southern Illinois. I applied there. I almost Did went. You? It uh, it's far though. It was it was a Way six hour there. drive. Yeah, and uh, they have accents down there. It, it's it's the South. Man. I didn't know. I went to a basketball camp at Loyola there in yeah. Chicago one time, and there was a bunch of kids from the South, Southern Illinois, and I was marveling at. That. I was like asking them, "Why are you speaking with the Southern yeah. accent? Where did the <laughs> hell does this come from?" Then you look on a map and you realize, well, it's like near Kentucky. And yeah, right it's over like the border. Yeah, it's very it's like hill people. It's very much hill people. And they uh, people forget though. If you take away Chicago and the suburbs, it's you know Illinois is 
It's Indiana. Very, it's it Iowa. Is. You know? It's rural. I mean, <laughs> there's nothing. There's farms. You remember that drive? I used to drive, like I said, every year we used to go down to see my grandparents in Tulsa. And so you're driving through just farm country forever until you can see the arch of the St. Louis, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, finally, <laughs> then you're in the Ozarks for the right. next 10 hours or so. So uh, is your dad still around? Or he is he... still around. You know, he actually led a really interesting life in terms of traveling overseas. I had to sort of jump off the... The good ship lollipop <laughs> yeah. there for a while when I went to college, but he and my mom remained on it. They moved on to go to, um, well, they stopped off and uh, lived in San Francisco for a while, and then Bakersfield, a lot of oil up there. Yeah. And then they went to uh, Algeria. Wow. He was living in Algeria for a while, and a little bit in London. Whew, Australia is the best place they went to. They spent three years in Brisbane. Oh, fun. Yeah, I'd love to I'd go visit there. That was Yeah, that, great. did you go visit him? Yeah, I yeah, did. Yeah, that's nice. It's he like Miami. It reminded me of Miami. It does, doesn't yeah. it? It is like they're Miami. Yeah, it's so beautiful <laughs> right there along the river, you know. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. And then Thailand. We lived in Phuket for a while. And Malaysia. What did you think of Phuket? I didn't go. He okay. went to Phuket. I, I don't know. Thailand for me was, I didn't have the best of time. I thought it was a little bit dirty. To be honest yeah. with you, depends I mean, on the part you go to, but Pattaya I, I Beach Phuket is where I went. Was really dirty. Yeah, Do you ever go to Pattaya? Oh, Pattaya. Pattaya. No, yeah, no. I guess that, isn't that where a lot of the casinos are and all that stuff? Yeah, yeah. I didn't go down. Yeah, there. no. It's um, I didn't really enjoy that. Yeah. Same with like Manila and those places. It just sort of yeah. too big. Like you said, Jakarta. It's the same way. But getting out into the smaller areas, I really loved doing that. Like we used to take uh, my dad and his buddies when we were living in Indonesia. We live right there at the, at the beach, but we're at the base of these mountains, the rainforest. And at the time, they were logging up there. I'm not sure. I think uh, the Japanese were logging up there. But um, So they had these dirt log roads. You could go up, and all the expats drove uh, these, these three-speed Jeeps, you know, steering wheel on the other side. Toyota Land Rovers? No, not really. I don't even remember what they were. Because I, I, it was the steering wheel was on the other side. That's yeah. what I learned to drive on, actually. And... Um, so on Sunday afternoons, they would do their, like, we're going treasure hunting. And so these guys would just load up coolers of beer, and they would head up into these mountains. Now, I'm sure they were not supposed to do this, you know. And <laughs> so, but they would find these dirt roads, you know, and we would head up into the mountains. And my dad invited me a couple times to go. And it was kind of like four-wheeling up there a little bit. and But you'd get up into that pristine, dense rainforest and see some things you know i mean some huge ass snakes and stuff like that a lot of monkeys a lot of monkeys monkeys. well they have tigers oh yeah yeah they've got tigers up there and in fact orangutans a lot of orangutans but uh it was just beautiful it was beautiful we had um in fact one time there was a tiger cub had been found um not sure what happened with the mother but uh these people kind of adopted this baby tiger it was so cute. They had it um, around the camp, you know, and they would feed it out of a bottle, and people right. were always coming over to see it. And they had it on a leash, and they would take it for a walk. And it was, they were arranging with uh, some sort of preserve to get it back out into the wild. And, I, oh, God, this is a horrible story to tell, but some asshole from Alabama. I knew he was going to the University of Alabama. It's probably my second or third year there. And it was at Christmas time. Oh, I don't like the way this story Yeah, going. this kid, he was in college at the University of Alabama. Uh, nothing against the University of Alabama, but... Uh, That's okay. We, yeah. can, we can just <laughs> Who cares? It. But anyway, I mean, he came over to see his parents, saw the tiger, decided to go home with the tiger skin. Oh. Yeah, it was a nuts. I mean, there's a young cub, too. 
broke this family's heart, but uh, you would see that every once in a while. You would see like uh, orangutans. You know, I remember a couple had yeah. an orangutan. Not like they bought it, but sometimes people would buy them when they, people you'd go into the like local villages and stuff. People would be selling them, so they would like oh to rescue them. They would go in and they would buy these animals. Um, there was packs of feral dogs sometimes that would get into the camp, and you had to watch out for them. That was always an interesting Sheesh. thing to run across that. Um, yeah, they had that in Venezuela, too. My parents used to jog really early in the morning, and uh, they got attacked a little bit by a pack of dogs just oh, yeah. running wild in the streets, you know. But um, Have you been back to any of these places, like to most of these places? No, no. I'd love to go down to Venezuela. I really would, despite the turmoil. Yeah. I'd love to go back. It's uh, Like I said, it's a beautiful country. And you've never seen a place that has everything like they have. And they have everything. The mountains and the beaches and the plains and the cities, you know? I mean, dynamic cities. Caracas, for all its filth and overcrowding, it still has parts of it that are beautiful. And, right. Uh, you know, I've always wanted to get to Colombia as well. We went to Bogota. And yeah, I want to get down there, too. Yeah, like Bogota was great. It's, it's so different. It's so high up, and you're cold. Like, we left yeah. Venezuela, and we went. We drove way down. To, I can't remember what it was. Like, Cucuta, I think it was. And we took a plane into Bogota. And, uh, wow, I mean, you get out, and you're like, what the hell's going on? You know, I'm in <laughs> South America, and I'm freezing, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it was during the winter, but uh, we had a great time. What a beautiful city. Old, 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 you know? And, uh, Cartagena, I heard it's supposed to be really beautiful. That's really supposed to be beautiful. Oh, you haven't been? No, with the fortresses and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I'd like to get there. I really would. But it's interesting, you know, You, I mean, even when we were down there, that's when um, they were killing judges and yeah. blowing up places in Bogota. You know, my mom, when they were in London once, my dad got sick. So when they were in Algeria and she had, they had to fly him out. They, couldn't, they didn't know what was the matter with him. So the company he was working for at the time, Bechtel, very concerned. So they flew him, sort of an emergency flight, to London. Because Algeria, boy, it was a backward place. Yeah, you well. don't want, I don't no, think you want to get any operations no, done. And, no. <laughs> the best thing about Algeria was still, you know, they had that French influence. You wake up every morning, you go outside, and there'd be a loaf of French bread on your doorstep. Yeah. They still delivered fresh bread every morning. But uh, So they flew him back to London, and he was – my mom was – in the hospital sitting by the window when uh, the IRA set off a bomb. Wow. Yeah, that not near, not right there, but nearby that, I can't remember if it broke the windows, just shook the windows. But anyway, it was kind of a weird, you know, if you travel enough, you live over there enough, you kind of get that confluence of politics. And I remember we had, uh, there was an evacuation plan in Indonesia when the Iranians had taken the embassy. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, because Indonesian is the most, uh, Muslim Muslim nation Highest population in Muslim, yeah. yeah And What's curious is that The Banda The Achenese Who live on the northern tip of Sumatra Kind of separate themselves Even more so And believe that they're You know Far more orthodox And true believers Yeah if That's you will. where That's where yeah. the bulk of the uh, The protests And the problems Are yeah. coming from yeah. yeah Yeah So it was uh yeah, you know, you come to learn too after the fact. I've done some reading about the time, the period we were over there. The U.S. was heavily involved with like helping the Indonesian government suppress rebellion movements in that area. You know, it's funny you don't even think about it at the time, but I remember some of my dad's friends. They would sit around and talk about their days in Vietnam, working right, with right. the CIA. You know, and you're like, huh? Even a friend of mine, one of my roommates in Singapore, his dad worked for mobile quotes and 
but had been with the CIA. Right. And right. so there was a lot of guys like that who were kind of like, what are they really doing up here? And if you know anything about Bechtel, Bechtel is a kind of a, it's a huge monstrous company that has like George Schultz used to be secretary of state under Reagan was board member. It's a lot of, yeah, it's like Halliburton in that sense. Like you know, those companies that, that they, they're hand in everything and you don't really know what they do. Right. And so it's, it's a Rand corporation. I, I, right. There you <laughs> go. Who what the hell knows what TRW and yeah, Rand Who knows what they do yeah. or, or uh, was it Raytheon and all these Raytheon, contractors? Yeah, boy, Raytheon, man. <laughs> But what were your, if you have to look back on some of the, like, the most scary incidences you had? Yeah. I always say incidences, and I don't think that's a, that's a word. Incidents? Incidents. Incidents. I think that's a plural. <laughs> I think you can do that. Scariest Never incidents. sounds right in my head every time I say. God, where do I, how far can I go Did you ever get podcast? any, really far? Really? You didn't say anything. I mean, any uh, okay, arrests, I'll any tell border you. guards, anybody you had to bribe? I was in Nepal. I'd gone... One of the great things about Singapore, real side, quick side note. It's a hub. You can go anywhere from yeah, there. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, it is. And uh, the great thing about Singapore American School is that every year they had the thing they called interim semester. It was between semesters. And you were required to participate in one of these activities for two weeks. It could be a trip, which you would pay for to go, a school-sponsored trip. Or you could stay locally and learn, you know, motorcycle mechanics, you know, <laughs> okay. that sort of thing. So it really didn't cost you anything. but. There were great opportunities, and uh, we were the first student group, not me, but our, the Singapore American School was the first student group to go into China, uh, wow. sort of, in 1979, um, was allowed to, you know. Um, but I went that year to Nepal, Kathmandu, and then to um, – we went on a trek around the Annapurnas. And you didn't go up to Everest base camp or anything No, like that? I only saw Everest as uh, – one morning I woke up in Kathmandu. It was very clear, and you could see it. Yeah. Um, Shakiest flight I've ever been on, too. I'll tell you that. We had, a, we had an air pocket up there. Man, did we drop. But um, <laughs> the moment you landed where we went, uh, it was like you literally got off the plane and they handed you your backpack. And that you started your trek right there at this grass airport. Not in Kathmandu. Outside oh, okay. of Kathmandu. Yeah, it was yeah. up in the mountains. I'm trying to remember the name. Of it. Anyway, so... Is it, Lu- is it Lukla? Luk- Luk- no, it didn't give the L. I think it was okay. K, but um, can't think of it. But it was... Fantastic, and you're immediately, you know, offered hashish, hashish, and, <laughs> and all kinds of things. So we partook of that, and it was great for the trip the whole time, you know. And then when it's time to go home, we're like, kind of wouldn't mind bringing some of this back with us. So that's a wise move, and yeah, always a wise bring move. Bring back into bring drugs into Singapore. Tell me about it. Um, so <laughs> here was a scary thing. We had I we had put, figured out to put it in our boots, right? And so. Sure, I can talk about this. Yeah. But- okay. Yeah, you asked for it. So uh, anyway, <laughs> so we stuffed it quite a bit, really, into the ends of our boots. We wrapped it in toilet paper and put it in the end of our boots and stuffed our toes in there, kind of mm. scrunched our toes up. Now, this is back in the days, kids, where you didn't have to take your shoes off to uh, fly. Well, funny enough, you should say that. Oh, you did. Because we get into the Kathmandu Airport, and they're separating men and women as you go through. And... We're waiting in line, and the guy in front of me, I'm watching, they're doing a full pat-down on, and because uh, there's no you know, metal detectors or anything. And they told him to take off his shoes. The guy takes off his shoes, and he was smuggling money. Oh. They literally arrested this guy right in front of me, smuggling money. He was a Nepalese, or at least he wasn't American. And uh, so I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> you know, they're going to check my shoes, and this is not going to be good. You know, because they just found something in the guy's shoes. 
And you're like, what, 17, 18 years oh, old? Oh, I wish I was. I was about 15. Uh, oh, my God. So I walked up, and I don't know. I, I just I took this jovial approach with these guys. You know, I just started kind of like laughing when they were like, like they were tickling me yeah. when they were patting me down. They started laughing, and I just made nice with them, you know, opened my pockets for them, made it as easy as possible, and um, that was it. Namaste. Wow. Yeah. Walked through, then got into Singapore, and sure enough, they always had the drug-sniffing dogs at the airport, you know, in Singapore. And so, literally, there was one going around the carousel that I had was standing next to, and they're bringing the dogs around the carousel, so I just stepped back casually <laughs> away from the dog that walked in front of me, and uh, then went and got my luggage. Oh, and my God. And this is right around the time uh, Midnight Express came out. Yeah. So, you think you could, you know, Billy. that might have scared you straight. You would have thought, right? <laughs> because there were more more of that happened. And uh, yeah, that got a little weird. It really did. It was wow. kind of a, it became kind of a thing to do, I'll be honest with you. Um, like how far you would be willing to take it. Oh, my God. It was just kind of a dangerous game to play. You, know, there's you, that feel, you really feel like you're invincible at that age, though. Thank you. Like, you nothing, do. Nothing's going to hurt you. Right. But right. boy, ignorance, bliss. Yeah. Yeah, because I did it in India as well. And I was coming back. And I was sweating bullets. I started sweating bullets. This is when I was about 17. Oof. And I thought, I'm never doing this again, you know? <laughs> I put it in a Menin speed stick. Again, not a huge quantity, but just some that personal amount of hash. And uh, I was with friends on this school trip, and they freaked, you know, as we were getting to the airport. They are like, we're not doing this. We're not doing this. They threw theirs away, right? Yeah. But I had mine in my Menin speed stick in my overnight bag, and we walked through and I, I did. I took a, a total Midnight Express, like went to the bathroom, you know, got out of line, went to the bathroom, was like washing my face down. I was like, oh, you know, I'm freaking out. And a part of me is just telling myself to calm down. Now, why wouldn't you just throw it away? Yeah. Why? I'm getting, you ner- do I'm it? getting nervous just but listening see, to this. But you're 17. You don't think about it. And um, so I walked in. Uh, these guys could not be humored at all. They did a full search of me, again, separating men and women. Uh, I think we were flying out of what was then Bombay. Um, and so I'll never forget. They opened that bag and it was like slow motion, man. They picked up that men in speed stick and it's like everything just kind of slowed down. They just looked at it, pulled the top off of it, put the top back on, threw it back in the bag. Oh. And it was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then, Wow. Yeah. And then I called my friends pussies for bailing out. Yeah. You know? But uh. I mean, for a while there, you were really kind of freaking out. You really were. But uh, those are dumb things that I did. You know, that you could say, like, incidents where I was in bad situation. Uh, yeah. Being, I got surrounded on a street in Venezuela because a friend of mine and I were dumb enough to think we could drag race on the main Avenida Bolivar, and he got in a crash, and he hit another car and injured some people. And his dad was a bigwig at Ford, which had a big uh, plant down there. And uh, he was screaming for me to go get help, you know, while the sort of mob was surrounding him because, like, a woman had been injured, I think, in the accident. And uh, sort of some of that, you know. Coming back in the 80s to uh, Reagan's America must have seemed pretty boring. Yes, exactly. It was. I'll be honest with you. I mean, like I said, when I got to college and everybody was just kind of twisting off because they were out of the house. Uh, yeah. It wasn't... The old say no to drugs. Yeah, uh, the whole thing, like, you know. You no By idea. that time, I wasn't even... I, like, I just I was, smuggled hash from India. Right. And, you know, it's funny. I was like, I kind of did that, like smoking pot. And I, I, I remember 
uh, some people were like getting high there in the dorm, like right away. Like, hey, you want to get high? I'm like, no, I'll hang out, but I don't, I don't even really like pot anymore. You know, it's kind of like <laughs> I'm done. I was over it, but uh, yeah, it took it took sort of the fun out of it. You know, I enjoyed being on my own. I love the idea of. When I traveled young, I could do, I felt like I could go anywhere in the world because I literally at times I had to. Like when we left Singapore, I'm telling you about that India trip we took in like in March. Um, I'd just gotten back from India, right? Thinking I'm going to finish my school year, my junior year there in Singapore. Uh, I was taking a shower in my dorm room at the youth hostel. I come out and there's my dad, okay? And I'm like, what's up? <laughs> and he says, I've been transferred to Venezuela. We've already packed up the trailer in Indonesia. Your mom and I are leaving this weekend, uh, right now, like tonight. We got a flight, <laughs> and you are leaving on Sunday. And at this point, my little sister had graduated from eighth grade, and it was her first year in Singapore. He goes, we need you to bring your little sister home with you. And uh, I'm like... Are you freaking kidding me? I mean, I had so many plans, you know. I mean, I didn't get to say goodbye to a single friend at high school. Wow. I just disappeared. I was like, one weekend, I was gone the next, you know. I mean, I never emptied my locker. I never even got back <laughs> on campus. I was like, I had two days left, you know. And, and I just brought this really nice hash from India, too. Oh, so it was man. like, but uh, yeah, it was a strange experience. But I mean, I, you know, I got on a plane with my little sister and, you know, flew halfway around the world on our own. We used to do that kind of stuff. I got stuck one time. We were flying to uh, from it was our senior class trip in Venezuela. We were flying from uh, Caracas to um, Aruba, and um, my dad had screwed up and didn't have my exit visa. It, in I don't know, it was supposed to be signed or whatever it wasn't. And so, uh, like one of the teachers was like, "Well, I'll stay with you. I'll stay." I'm like, "No, no, just go. I'll figure it out. I'll get out of here. I'll call the embassy. I'll do something." You know. So they all got on that little plane over, did a short ride over to Aruba. And so, like, I started asking around these guys. I just started playing the dumb American. Right. You know, I just said, hey, uh, is there someone? Because I called the embassy. That's a time-honored tactic. Yeah, it is. Well, they, the, the <laughs> I embassy, don't know how this works. Can right. somebody help me? Well, it is, and it works, let me tell you, because the embassy was no help whatsoever. I don't know if you've ever been anywhere where the American embassies really helped you out, but you know, for me, it's never really been. Yeah, I think if something catastrophic happened, I'd like to think right. they could, but otherwise, I wouldn't rely on them. Um, so I was stuck in Caracas International Airport, and it was one more flight leaving in about five hours for Aruba. And so I asked these guys, "I'm like, well, what can I do?" I go, "Can I buy a visa from you?" You know, I'm playing totally stupid. Can I? And they kind of looked at each other and they're like. Yeah, sure. You can buy a visa from us. I'm like, really? Yeah, okay. And like, when you come through with your passport, I want you to put the money right here. And I don't remember how much it was. I think it was the equivalent of like $50. Yeah. You know, and so I just wanted it on that page in the passport. He actually got pissed at me, like under his breath. I guess I put it on the wrong page <laughs> when I went through. And it had been a big fuss when I didn't have the right visa, you know, uh, leaving. And a lot of people had noticed. A lot of people who worked at the airport. So when I was spotted later on in the departure lounge, I remember some of the other employees at the airport, some of the other immigration people looking at me and actually asking themselves, like, isn't that the guy that couldn't get out earlier? <laughs> and so they're all in on it, you know? I'm not oh, saying yeah, all, yeah. don't get me wrong, I'm not saying South Americans are corrupt, but, you know, a lot of places you can buy your way out of trouble. And so that was a situation where I did, and I was able to get on the plane, and when I landed, 
they immediately were like, well, where was your exit visa? We got to stamp that. And I was like, well, I bought it from the man there. <laughs> and he's like, oh, jeez. You know, <laughs> he's like, you've got to go to the U.S. consulate before you fly out, and you've got to get a proper exit visa, which I was able to do before we left and got back. So it was all happy ending. <laughs> but, you know, I, I have been stuck in other places by myself before. And, you know, I, I think it's nice to know at an early age that you can sort of you know, be okay in those situations, and it teaches you you can kind of get through anything. Yeah, you know? especially being in a foreign country. What was Aruba like as a senior class trip? That's not a bad deal. Oh my God, what a great place! <laughs> I guess it's really blown up. I think we went to the Indiana Dunes. Yeah, there you online, go. So that's probably a, a little different. Hanging at casinos, and yeah. <laughs> uh, it was fun. We had a great time. We I actually bet. had a great time. There was a some cruise ship from Miami came in with this just as. The force of geriatrics. I'll never forget. Like, we were sitting around learning how to play blackjack. And we were actually kind of winning. You know, I'd never played blackjack before. But uh, they have casinos, obviously, down there. And right. then all of a sudden, we look around, and we're just like, every chair is full of just these the blue, old, hairs uh, blue hairs. And the guys <laughs> in the Bermuda shorts nudging you over and walkers and stuff. Um, it was fun. I had a great time. It was a great time. <laughs> I woke up the first morning there. I woke up on the beach. I literally, like, woke up, and I looked over, and there was my senior class math teacher sunning himself and reading a book and I'm in my clothes from the night before. <laughs> He's like, do you have fun? You know? <laughs> so it was like, yeah, it was a weekend spent with rum and Cokes and just a good time. Good time. So you did all this growing up. Yes. Looking back on it now, I mean, did you, re- did you resent it at the time, but do you appreciate it now or do you look at it back differently than what you were feeling? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I, I there used to be a part of me who felt like I was getting cheated out of the traditional American high school experience, you know, like you mentioned you John didn't miss Hughes. A ton. Yeah, I know, but you I, know, when you see that stuff. I'm envious of you now. Well, <laughs> there's that, that part of you that like wishes you could have played football on a real football well, team, yeah, not yeah, the like yeah. small little football teams they used to put together. And, but that that's that's just a pity potty. No, I look back at it now and I realize how good I had it. You know, I have <laughs> two girls and I can't believe how much we pamper them and look. You know, take care of them. We're always, you know, worried about them. And I think to myself, you know, my parents sent me away when I was 14. It was like, bon voyage, guy. You know, they were sad, but, you know, here I was living in, you know, a different country. Um, yeah, but could you go, could you go into, how old are your daughters now? 13 and 11. Okay, but could you go into their rooms and go, hey, we're leaving this weekend to a different country? No. That's it a would, hard thing to do. It that, would be like I would be nuking it. You yeah. know? <laughs> they can't even handle the idea of leaving Burbank someday. I was <laughs> thinking about moving from Burbank to over to like Pasadena or something. And no, like, what about all our friends? They did. They were like literally like breaking down. No, I'm like holy <laughs> shit, you guys. If you had any idea what my life was like, you know, jerked out of schools and moved here and there and yeah, yeah. Like when I moved to Chicago, I was made fun of for my accent. Apparently, I came in. My parents have a very southern accent because they're both from Oklahoma. And so I was born in Texas and in Kansas, so I guess I carried one with me. I didn't know until I got to Juliet, and they reminded and mocked. me. Yeah, yeah, mocked, abused. Hey, and, listen to this guy yeah. over here. What's what is he talking? Uh, Why does he keep on saying cement? You jag off. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> cement. They, they beat that out of me quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so you weren't in. You weren't in uh, Juliet long, though. No, just till eighth grade. Okay. Yeah. Formative years. Good years. Made my sports alliances then. That's you right. You, you got some Chicago love yeah, there. Yeah, I do. I really do. Now you've been cursed your entire life with the, the pain of it is Chicago pain. fandom. Why, why do we do that? You know, <laughs> I don't know. could have picked any other city. I really had. I was a free agent. I could have picked anybody, but uh, yeah. So, but no regrets about the travel. I really don't. You know, I, I if there's any regret, I'll be honest with you. Uh, you kind of realize it later on when you grow up. 
the people who had some of the greatest lives over there were the teachers. And they worked for the international school systems, ISS. And they were always young, you know, adventurers who would come over there. And there was a really great spirit about all the teachers I had there. Again, like I say, because they were pretty young. And my my parents used to become friends with theirs. And oftentimes in Venezuela, for instance, we used to have these beach parties on Sundays. Everybody would just go to the beach. It was about 20, 30 minutes away. It was a gorgeous beach. Um, sometimes they would cook a pig, and there would be like 30 people, and many of them teachers as well. So you'd you know be hanging out with them and watching them drink with your parents and stuff <laughs> on a Sunday, then you're back in school on Monday with them. And they were just very good people. And uh, I, I look back on that now, and I think, what a life, because these people really have – turned an opportunity to like not only travel, but to work while you do it. Uh, I knew somebody, uh, I had a teacher who became, she left. She just took off to go work in the camps in Cambodia during the, the Khmer Rouge. Oh gosh. Yeah. Uh, we ran across some of that too. Like the memory, I don't know if you ever heard of the Vietnam boat people. The boat oh, yeah. people. Yeah. We ran into them in Malaysia. We were going, um, snorkeling on this Island called Tioman. Once a year we would go as a group, and uh, it was great. We'd stay for like four days and tear this little, quiet, beautiful, tropical resort. Just tear it up and turn it upside <laughs> down. I always felt bad for the European tourists who were there, you know, because we'd be up loud and throwing up outside and playing our music. You were that guy. Yeah, you were, were that the one guy. I hate on my... Yeah, the yeah. ugly Americans. I mean, they used to look down their nose at us. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, and... Uh, but we would go over there, and one time when we would take this bus up into um, Malaysia, and then you take a slow boat over to Yemen, um, they had put them in a, like a wire fencing. These boat people, they, they looked like what I learned eventually, like Holocaust victims looked like, you know, this emaciated. We were all shocked at what we were seeing, and we started taking pictures from the bus. And the soldiers came on and took everybody's film out of their camera. They didn't want anybody seeing it. It was uh, these were relations, so these boat people were picked up, obviously fleeing Vietnam, mm-hmm. um, which is weird. I mean, the Vietnam War was long over by then, right? I mean, but I, Not, I guess well, it was like the Khmer Rouge or something that it. I, I don't understand. It's the only been over well for enough. like you know five years. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it wasn't right. that long. But um, yeah, that confluence of politics and international yeah. travel has always fascinated me too. So after you get back, and then then you go to college here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did. All that travel and all that experience make you want to see more of the world or you were, or definitely. make you want to sit still for a while? No, definitely. There's still things I feel like I have to see. I What's left? Well, I haven't really done justice to Europe. You know, okay. I've done a bit of Europe, but I really – I haven't done Italy. I mean, my God. Oh, come on. Really? No, I really haven't. It's like every American talks about that. You yeah. know? <laughs> I'm dying to do that. I would love to go to Israel. I'd love to go see, you know, uh, just for the age of it. You know, I really would. There's places I'd love to go. I know I'll never be able to go now, you know, like Pakistan. And uh, uh, I really enjoyed India. India was probably my favorite place I ever visited. Really? Because yeah. India is hard. I have mixed uh, feelings yeah. on India. I mean, you went there. As a, I mean, it was eye-opening to me mm-hmm. at you know, 40. Right. At someone who's been around a lot, too. Right. I mean, it's you know, the cities are really tough. I mean, the, the poverty is the worst I've ever seen. It's unbelievable. Anywhere. It's indescribable, isn't how did, it? Yeah, it is. And, and how did you react at, as a teenager seeing that? I was shocked. Yeah. Granted, now I've seen, you know, Indonesia is a third world country in well, every sure. definition of the word. I mean, I'm sure you see a lot of the same stuff in Jakarta. Oh, my God. You know, I remember one of the first times I ever went to the market in Indonesia, I uh, 
I was dry heaving because I was I suddenly kind of slowly got surrounded by beggars with elephantitis, you know. Yeah. Children, men, women, you know, with like, it was just, like lepers. lepers. My in, mom volunteered in a leper colony. In Indonesia, yeah. there's one in Banda Aceh. My mom was actually – she's on the equivalent of Time Magazine, the Indonesian Time Magazine. She uh, – I still have that picture of her. Not on the cover, excuse me, in the magazine itself. She had volunteered to go up there and work in a leper colony. Isn't that wild? Wow. Yeah. That's like biblical stuff. It's biblical you stuff. You don't think about it. No, and I mean just – People with polio and stuff. Oh, yeah, and, diseases that are just, you know – That we've gotten rid of and that they – Yeah. Yeah. Well, you do get sick over there, right? And you probably got mm. oh, sick I on got, your travel. Oh, I got dysentery before it was... India took me down. Oh, Nepal took so many people down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, India is really wild. I loved it. I just think... I went all the way up to Kashmir, up on the lakes. Oh, you did? Yeah, and Srinagar, and uh, stayed on the lake houses up there. It was... See, yeah, I didn't make it up that far. Yeah. More, most north I went was uh, New Delhi. Mm-hmm. I went to New Delhi. I liked that. Did you get to Agra, of course? You got to yeah, see yeah. the... Yeah, you know. yeah. Went Agra down through Judah, uh, Jaipur, Jaipur and Udaipur, Udaipur. and um, did those Mumbai, and then Mumbai. ended in Goa. Ah, I didn't go to Goa. Yeah, Goa is you know yeah. it's you know it's like India light. Yeah, you know it, it's a beach it? and it's a party beach and you know yeah. the Portuguese ran it for right, five hundred years. Yeah, so it's the only place you'll see like Catholic churches still. And, oh, know, okay. In India. Kashmir is a different world altogether. They look yeah, different. India is very big. People don't huge. realize how big it is and it's how many enormous. different regions there are. Shridhar is like it's mountainous. It's cold. We were in the winter. Mm-hmm. Here we were dressed for summer, and they told us like if you have winter coats, bring them because when we get to Srinagar, it's going to be winter. And it was. <laughs> we went riding. I have pictures of myself riding through the snow on a horse. We went on this horse ride up there in the mountains. You can go do that today, not with the tensions that they have. You know, the sort of Muslim unrest in the world that, uh, you know, I got introduced to Muslims in a very different way. You know, I started taking Malaysian when I first moved to Singapore. And my Malaysian teacher, Encik Haji Esan, he was Muslim, but he, you know, took me under his wing and uh, taught me privately. And I, I learned so much. I started learning the Arabic version of Malaysian, which I write for religious purposes. Mm-hmm. And, Took me to his home. I just learned it to be a very gentle, peaceful religion, unlike what we see it as today. And of course, there are radicals. You know, I'm not trying to mitigate that, but it's it's strange to our perception of the Muslim world today as opposed to then. But uh, he's the guy who worked on the bridge on River Kwai, because you know the Japanese came into Singapore, right? They took over Singapore, and he was living in Singapore yeah. at the time. He was a young man when he was made to go work on the River Kwai, the bridge. Oh, he did work on the bridge. He did he work on the bridge. He wasn't a prisoner. He was just brought He was in. a prisoner. He was a Absolutely. prisoner. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, well, that was all slave labor. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, they brought in some British, captured British as well. But many of those came from Singapore. They were right. captured in Britain. I mean, captured in Singapore. Wow. In fact, I even think in the movie that they mentioned that some of them were captured in Singapore. I got to rewatch it. It was a great yeah. movie. Oh, it's a great movie. I love that movie. <laughs> yeah. I always think of him having worked on yeah, it. Alec Guinness and William Holden. Mm-hmm. Oh, good stuff. It is good stuff. So... How do you think, if at all, did it really change your did it change your politics, you think, in a way? And not to get political, but I mean did right. it change your outlook and, and like how you see people and how it Yeah, I how think you see the world? Well, I guess I see it through like I can only really see it through that American prism, you know? Yeah. And I th- I've seen a lot of times what we see here are the good intentions, right? And then you see there what the realities are. You know, what we're generally exporting, what the perception of us is. You got to remember, we're like that house at the end of the block that's surrounded by gates and has got pools and 
fountains and gilded statues everywhere. That's the way we're perceived. Now, I can't really speak to Europe because I'm obviously this different place right, and yeah. different perception. But in these third world places, Americans. Yeah, are the streets seen, are paved with gold. Absolutely. You know, and um, it's not just about the money. It's about the the influence that that money possesses. And um, like in Venezuela, they really blamed American corporations and American government for the failings of their own government. The corruption was so intense. I mean, this is an OPEC nation. This is an OPEC nation that could be making so much money and putting so much money back into their people. Like, there should be no poverty in Venezuela ever. Well, it's the same thing with Nigeria. The Nigeria. The same thing. I just went through there, and it's, uh, yeah. And they had one, yeah. United had one direct flight to the U.S. from Nigeria, and guess where it was to? Houston. Really? Why? Well, yep. oil. Well, there you go, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah, it was all oil guys on yeah. my flight. Absolutely, yeah. But none of that's trickling down to the people, and uh-uh. certainly not to the airport. No. <laughs> no. Certainly not to the airport and the infrastructure. Yeah. My dad was an engineer, and I remember one time they wanted to build, he and some friends got together, and they just kind of drew it up, the schematics, really quickly, how they could make a water purification plant. It's not hard to build one. For the locals there in Indonesia, like, this, they really need this, and they presented it to the the muckety-mucks, you know, and said, this is simple, this is something we could do, we can give a little bit back. Uh, thought, thinking for sure this would be agreed upon. And they said no. They just said no, you know, to do it. American corporations, you know, they they get a bad rap, and they deserve a bad rap yeah. in a lot of ways, and that's something you do learn being over there. You know, you're kind of taking, 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 and you're not really putting much back into it. You can say you are. You say you're putting people to work. We lived in an enclosed camp. We wanted nothing to do with the natives. That's the appearance anyway. And I'm just saying that's – and that's the perception even when I was in Venezuela. I think, you know, that school it was in a gated locked up on a hill. Uh wasn't the nicest school, but, you know, I'm just saying it was just – It's nicer than they're getting. Yeah, yeah. And it was separate, you know, and you're getting this sort of VIP treatment. And so – uh, I think there's resentment against that type yeah. of thing, but uh, if the tables are turned, you you know, I'd, I'd probably resent us. Yeah, you know, me too. Even if they're, yeah, you know, strutting around like they own the place, right. and they just show up there to you know pull whatever out of the ground that they right. want, and then you know, and leave. Yeah, and that's pretty much it. You that's, know, it's hard to you yeah. can kind of get it. <laughs> I know, know right? It. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I usually tell people what my dad did for a living. He went around the world raping third world yeah. countries of their natural resources, <laughs> oh, and he's such a big. Democrat socialist now, you know, he's just really swung he the other way. Yeah, he's That's such a liberal. He's just crazy liberal, and I'm pretty much a liberal as well. But it's not. How has he turned on the environment and climate change and all that? Oh other yeah, stuff? no, he's completely. Uh, his only difference he understands is his oil. role in it. Yes, he does. That's what I mean, as an oil guy. I mean, yeah, no, he completely. You know, he thinks we should get off our dependence on oil, but he'll be quick to remind you, the world's not running out of oil. And he goes, we're never going to run out. Plus, we're always going to need oil. And he makes a case for it. I mean, it's – when you think about oil that comes out of the ground, like you look right outside right now, you see that road out there. That's road that's made with oil. You know what I mean? Right. The tar that's left over after processing And everything's oil. made out of plastic. Absolutely. We're never yeah. going to get off our dependency, but just let's reduce our dependency, you know. Look at the turmoil it's gotten us into. And it's, it's forced us, you know, following the lead of these American corporations to protect their interests – as yeah, a you join the army, you got to know that you you know you, you might be protecting, for right? Yeah, you know, and uh, it's true. But I mean, and there are times when you have to just 
say it and understand it. You know, it is in the best interest of our country because it's in the best interest of our economy to keep these corporations working, right? Because we need the oil. We're dependent on the oil. And these companies produce and refine the oil for us, right? What a racket, though. It is a racket. Dirtiest business. Dirtiest business you ever saw. Physically dirty, you know, morally Uh, dirty. It's just so dirty. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah, it really is. And like I said, those guys who were like, who would come over and drink with my dad, I remember them telling stories about like being in Saigon on the final days. Those are spooks. These are guys that are like, they would, yeah. I mean, it's like, so what? what's a guy posing? Like, I'd ask my dad, I go, what does he do? You know, he's an engineer or something like that. He right. wasn't an engineer. <laughs> you know, he's probably up there posing as, you know, at least ostensibly as an engineer, but also working with what I come to find out years later were death squads working up in the mountains of Banda Aceh and Sumatra, putting down this rebellion for Suharto, who we've come to learn now was one of the most vicious dictators Ever, you know? So, and my dad's company, Mobile Oil, was very much in bed with Saharto. It was, they were greasing him big time. Right. To have the rights to go. That place is empty now. Thanks to Google Earth, I can go and look at it. I can even see the the outline of the trailer where we used to live. Um, well, they pulled all the oil out? Yeah, they're... they pulled them all out because of the unrest up there. Oh, okay. They shut down that plant. Oh, I didn't know They okay. had to. It got that bad. Wow. It really came back on them. You know, it was only it was only until the uh, tsunamis. Do you remember, like, they came to an, a peace accord after the tsunamis? Um, remember, because they actually let the Americans in to help, yeah, brought for, aid. You know, the it was then that they kind of got a armistice or not armistice, a, a, a peace agreement going with the, the local rebels. Up until then, it become too fractious. So, how do you give as a as a father mm-hmm. of two girls now, mm-hmm. eleven and thirteen? How do you give them a sense of the world? And a little bit of the perspective you gained without uprooting them, right. <laughs> like you were, and tearing. You know, I mean, yeah. it's a fine line to. Yeah, because my stories go in one ear out the other. Right, you know, I, I mean, try to tell them something. But you want to promote. Uh, you want to widen their world, though. You, I you, do, I do, and I think they're coming to the age now where I think I would widen their world. I think, you know, I would feel more comfortable traveling with them once they start high school. Yeah. You know, and, and you don't have to go to like Orlando. Right. And then, well, that's one thing I do. I, I eschew any kind of touristy things with them, and that probably annoys them more than anything. Um, but I hear they can do all that. I mean, there's Disneyland here. Yeah, I mean, they can do all that here. I hate and that day stuff. trips. It's just you like, know? yeah, day trips, of course. But uh, it's just like, <laughs> but I've tried to get them, you know, if anything, in terms of travel, um, to thrill in travel. You know, we do travel a lot around the West in um, the national parks. You know, and I, I want them to have that desire to see the world. But I think once they get into high school, I think that's when we'll start exploring a little bit more and make the trip. Have but they I, been out of the country yet? Uh, just to Canada. Okay. Yeah, they haven't been down to... Well, you don't count that. Then. I really don't. No. <laughs> but they're due, you know. And that's now yeah. it's time. I, I really wouldn't... I don't think they would have gotten anything out of going to Europe when they were... You no. know, even seven, eight years old. What do they know? You I think know? as teenagers, it's a good. That might be a good time. Yeah. To, to do it, and it might be good for you. You could both discover Europe together, right? You know, <laughs> and I, I hope they can take it in the sort of the low key. Take it as it comes. Yeah. It's approach. not a huge culture shock. It's right. not like putting them in Indonesia or right. uh, you right. know, or India. Right. You got to ease into India or someplace like that. You, you can't really just, do. You can't just jump right in as your first oh, boy. trip. Isn't that something? I mean the. Poverty. I remember we stayed at the YMCA in Bombay, over yeah. there in Mumbai, and uh, we had bed bugs. Oh, it was horrible. Oh, yeah. But 
they had like these little balconies you could look out on. You know, it wasn't really a balcony. You just kind of open your window and some little step there. And there was a vacant lot, big dirt vacant lot next to us. It was at night and I got up because I was itching and I was just looking out there and I see all these white rolls. It looked like corpses. It looked like corpses covered in sheets all over this damn thing. And I'm like, what the hell is this? It's like, what? This is the strangest thing until one of them moves and rolls over. It's just people sleeping out in the streets. It was people sleeping out in that vacant lot. And then in the mornings they get up and you know, they clean themselves off at those, you know, you saw it at those little hydrants, yeah. wherever they can on the street, you know, the little nozzles. Or um, anyway, they just—it was just such a—I can't even imagine that sort of the destitute existence that they live day to day. It was—it's remarkable. Obviously, it makes you grateful for what you have, but. Uh, well, if was, it teaches the kids anything, you know, that would be a good thing to, yeah. for them to learn. Yeah, I think you also learn, or you don't learn, not to be afraid of that, you know? I obviously travel with people who look at them and to see them as completely unequal to them, you know, based on their human condition, you know, their environmental conditions. I think maybe it was by virtue of my parents, we learned to see them just as much as human beings as you and I, you know? Um and, yeah, to feel sympathy for them, you know, but to do something if you could, you know, like my mom going up to a um, a leper colony and volunteering, that type of thing. We're like, what are you, nuts? Don't come back here. I don't want leprosy. You know, what are you, crazy? <laughs> um, no, it felt good to be able to do stuff for people there, too. I know we did really well by – they always encouraged you to hire <laughs> – Staff because they wanted to put the locals to work. So they wanted you to have a house boy, a maid, a cook, a gardener. Where is this in, in Indonesia? Oh, like, yeah, because you, there's you, nothing but people. Yeah, I mean, it's, right. It's, labor is their biggest thing that they have. And if you could pay them ten dollars a week to come do that, you would be making them so happy. We went through a kitchen in a nice restaurant in India, and I never saw more people. Yeah, in in, in a kitchen. I mean, right. I've worked in kitchens and right. waited tables and stuff. I've never. There must have been a hundred people back there between Isn't that crazy? you know busboys and and cooks yeah. and dishwashers and I mean, I never saw so many people. No. There was like they're finding stuff for people to do. That's what they do. Yeah, and and paying them nothing, nothing but that's yeah. more than what they were going to make anyway. You know, so we did do that, and I know my mom and dad took care of those people really well. You know, probably in a weird way set them up for life in in a strange way with what they paid them. You know, yeah, or at least. Hopefully they did, you know, with the amount of money. Because they were getting paid a lot more than, you know, they were suggesting that you pay them, which is nice. But it wasn't a lot of money, you know what right. I mean? <laughs> what uh, what $100 can buy. You can feed, you know, a family for a year oh, over God, there. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, finally, what has all of this uh, taught you? How has it made you the person that you are? That's what a good question. It made me a writer, I think. Oh, I've I never really told do. people what you do. That's what I do. I write, okay. yeah, and produce. But I... I write, and I think, you know, I do draw on that varied experience of travel. And it's strange when you travel, you kind of have to define who you are, don't you? When you set out, like, how, who am I going to put out there? What kind of Matt Harris am I going to put out there in the world? And I'm not saying you have to necessarily reinvent yourself, but um, I just kind of became, I think, more keenly aware of people and people's motivations and the way people will react in, and in certain circumstances. I think travel puts stress on anyone, in a sense. And so you really kind of do see true personalities come out. And I'm not just talking about physical travel. I'm talking about being in, in a place where you're not 
you know, from. And whether it's, you know, you and I going through the hills of Arkansas, it's a very different world. Um, or if, you know, you're wandering through kampongs in, in Indonesia, you know, it's, uh, I, I think I felt like it helped me define who I was a little bit better, but at the same time, as a writer, um, made me more sort of uh, intuitive, not intuitive, but a little bit more aware of personalities and characters. And that has helped me to create characters and design, you know, situations. And yeah, I, I do. I really feel like that's been the biggest influence on me. That and just now a never ending craving to get back out there, you know? Um, and I hate, I, I hate conventional travel in terms of like, all right, we're going to land in Paris yeah, and we're going to get on take a, a bus. You have a cruise. I just can't understand it. <laughs> I hate to offend anyone, but that floating buffet yeah. has no appeal to me whatsoever. Don't you understand? I snuck hash back into right, Singapore. Exactly. You know? When I was 17. That's right. Unless you understand the cold sweat of that kind of terror, <laughs> don't talk to me. Ah, <laughs> oh, man, my parents only knew. <laughs> yeah. Well, where can... Uh, People find your work, or, or do you have a website? Right now, no, I'm actually just doing a true TV series right now um, called uh, Top Funniest, True TV's Top Funniest. Okay. It's kind of like their America's Funniest Home Videos. So, I want to think I know somebody uh, working on that show, but yeah, so many I, of these shows sound familiar to they me. They do, they do. It's a fun show. I, I love... We're probably the only re- real reality show on television anywhere because we're just, you know, like America's Funny on Videos. I mean, this was this actually happened. This guy stepped on that rake, you know? Right, right, So right. this is real, and uh, um, but I love it. I love watching videos. I, I watch them all day, and I'll never get tired of it. I tell you, I laugh <laughs> all the time, so I'm really lucky to do what I do. That's cool. Yeah, it's fun. All right. Well, thanks, man. It was great to Thank meet you. Thank you very you. much. Yeah, it was great to meet you as well. All right. Matt Harris, everybody. So long. Bye-bye.